This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Is something very near and, and dear to my heart, as I know it is yours, and that is about the family. And I couldn't think of a better crowd to have <laughs> to discuss uh, such a subject this morning. We're going to take our text out of Luke chapter 15 and take most of our observations and comments and, and uh, points, things to consider from this passage. Luke chapter 15 beginning in verse 11. I want to look at what we generally call the parable of the prodigal son. And I want to look at this particularly with the relationship between the father and his sons here in this story. But I'll get more into that in a moment. Let's begin reading at verse 11. We'll read through verse 16 to start with. Uh, and I, my apologies, but I'm reading from the ESV version because it just worded things in such a way that just was clear for me. So if you're not in ESV... King James is not too far off, just uh, follow along as best you can. But it reads, And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country and Then he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Now before I go into the meat of this uh, story, I want to tell you a little bit about a man I knew back in Houston uh, years ago when we lived there. Uh, This really was back in the 80s. He had an upbringing, he would tell you, had an upbringing that was a little hard. It It was religious, it was Christian in nature. Yet, hard. His dad ruled with a pretty strong arm. And uh, he built up a lot of resistance and a lot of animosity and a lot of bitterness toward his dad over many years, especially through the teenage years. And the reason I'm telling you this is I think we're going to make some application to what can really happen in life. He was running. He was rebelling. He was questioning and challenging everything. And before you know it, he's running not just from dad, but from God. And that's what he, was, he had chosen to do. He wanted out. I said this was back in the 80s. I don't know if any of you, some of you maybe, closer to my age, may remember the 80s. But this gentleman worked in the oil-related industry in oil drilling related industry particularly. 
And by the early 80s, oil drilling just almost went away. Tens of thousands of jobs were lost across the country. And he was one of them. And times got really, really rough for him. He found an opportunity in the Dallas area with his wife's granddad to work where he was working. He was offered a job there in a machine shop. And so he, he took that as an opportunity to get away, to run, to leave home, to get out of the atmosphere he was in, and to be his own man. That's what he wanted to do. He and his wife and his little baby boy moved up to that Dallas area, really out in the country, and they stayed with his wife's grandparents for about six months while they got their feet back on the ground and got settled in and began to try to survive through the 80s. It was still a rough time. I'm going to tell you before I go any further because it's very difficult to speak in third person. The gentleman I'm telling you about that I knew so well was me. That was me in the 80s. It was a rough time. Not just physically, but spiritually. Very rough time. I didn't want any part of religion. No more. Nothing. I was tired of it. The things I even saw in church, the division and the problems that were there at that time, really affected me. And it shaped a lot of my thinking and direction in the rest of my life to, to a big degree. But we, like I said, we were living with my wife's grandparents for about six months, and I was riding into work with him to this machine shop. He worked there in the Dallas area. And I would ride in with him because it didn't make sense to take two cars in for such a long drive, right? So on that journey in and journey back home, her granddad would begin asking questions. He was a very, I would say, well-studied man in the Bible. And he would ask questions just like, what do you think the Apostle Paul meant when he said such and such in Romans, whatever, you know? And he would just ask these questions. I'm going to grab some water here. He would ask these questions, and I was thinking to myself, riding down the road as a passenger, first of all, I'm kind of captive. I can't go anywhere or do anything. I'm trapped. I didn't want these questions. I didn't care. I really didn't care. But I think he saw in me something that I didn't realize he saw at the time. A, a young man that really needed some help. And he'd ask these questions and I would just, I don't know. I don't know. And so the next trip on the way home, he'd ask another question. I don't know. I didn't want this. <laughs> this is not what I moved up here for. But eventually, over some time, he began to ask these questions, and I began to respond a little bit and maybe give a little thought to some of what he was saying. And then a little more time went on, and we began to actually get into studying, doing some Bible studies and things of that nature. And it wasn't very long before at the age of 21, like I said, as a young man, just married a year or so. I'm going to get this working. And uh, I obeyed the gospel. 
I had been baptized before, but that's when I would say I really obeyed the gospel at 21 years old. And I had a new fire. I had a new appreciation, a new, even some understanding. Now, I wasn't real deep. I still didn't understand a lot. But I was learning a lot, and I got excited about what Christianity really offered and what I didn't experience when I was younger. And several years rocked by, but I still had that same bitterness and problems with my dad and with my experiences in in the church in the past. I'll come back to that in a moment. But I want to pause and, and just inject. We're challenged with a few things in our... It was mentioned, at least uh, alluded to in the prayer, um, and, and the opening uh, comments and reading. And it, it just fits right along with what, what I'm going to say here. We're challenged in our culture. We're very challenged in our culture. I look at the church in India or Nigeria or other places where they have such hardships, and it seems, it appears, I've not been there, but it just seems they have a greater appreciation, a level of an appreciation for their worship of God against such dire circumstances that they're in. And yet we have cushioned pews, you know, to sit on. But bigger than that, we live in a society. Listen, I love our independence. I, I'll defend it. I'm, I'm there. I love our freedom. I love our liberty in this country. But let me tell you something. It breeds, we think, independence, and it breeds self-independence. Independence individually in a way that tends to take us away from our dependence upon God. And we are very easy to forget that God is the one that's in control that God is our Lord, that God is the one who we should follow and depend on, not ourselves. We depend on ourselves, we're going to walk astray. We're going to walk in our own paths, and it's just not in us to know the direction that we ought to walk. And many passages allude to that also. Because it's not about me. It's not about you. I'm not perfect I'm just not. I make mistakes. I sin. Let's just be honest with what it is, not just mistakes. I choose to sin way too many times. I make bad choices. And I have in my life quite a bit. And one thing I've determined when it comes to parenthood, there is no such thing as a perfect parent on this earth. He doesn't exist. I don't think so. Because really we all have this same problem where it's called humanity or human life. (laughs) That's not an excuse. That's just the reality of it. Humans are imperfect. Our God is perfect. We are not. In this story of the prodigal son, and I'll come back to mine here in a little bit, let's get to the meat of what we read here. The story of this prodigal son, there are so many lessons in this story, and I'm not going to discuss them all except to acknowledge them, because I I think I could actually create a whole series of sermons on lessons we could learn from the story of the prodigal son. There's a lot. But the basis of the story, I believe, is primarily about the love and the desire of the father toward everyone that's lost. 
Whether it's this prodigal son or the good son that was still there. All of us fit into a category here as we observe this. Jesus had just finished relaying two parables, the lost sheep and the lost coin, to uh, the tax collectors, these publicans. And quite frankly, these publicans were despised by the Jews because generally they were fellow Jews working for the Roman government, history tells us. And they were extracting and doing whatever they could to get tax money out of their fellow Jews. You think they were liked? They were not liked among the Jews. They were despised. And of course then it says, and the sinners. That's the people that made bad choices, lived immoral lives and things of that nature. So here's this group of people Jesus is speaking to. And by the way, the the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jewish people, were there observing this and watching. And they're witnessing these sinners congregate around Jesus. And they accuse Him here of receiving and eating with the sinners. Despicable. How could He, if He's a man of God, spend His time with such people? And so, he tells this parable of the prodigal son. Again, the basis of it, I think, this is a picture of one who had gone astray, maybe one of their own that had gone astray and got caught up in sin and in the world and is doing worldly things, involving himself in things that he didn't need to. The word prodigal itself means uh, reckless living or... um, There's another term I want to use. It's not coming to my head. Maybe I'll think of it in a minute. But that's the reason he's called the prodigal son. He was reckless with his money. It's just wild living and, and lavish type stuff that he really didn't need to be involved in. And then you have this older son. And he's pictured of one, basically, of the Pharisees, is how I see it. He took on kind of that idea or that mindset, if you will. And then, of course, we have the Father, and He's a representative of the Father in heaven. But again, all of that's another sermon. I just want to acknowledge that that's really what this was about. But there's, an, there's some interesting things about this story that I think it's fair to look at in relationship one to another, and especially the relationship between the Father and His children. So I want to look at the prodigal first as we get into this. There were, uh, there were several things that the prodigal son did not understand. He just didn't. And I'm going to apply this to us today, but this is how I see this son. He didn't realize the love that his father had for him. He didn't know it. He didn't realize it. But he would later. He didn't realize the wisdom of his dad. He also didn't realize the work ethic of his dad that allowed him to provide for his children in such a bountiful way, among other things. You know, typically a son would receive his inheritance at the time of his father's death, not unlike today. But the fact that this younger brother instigated the early division of the family estate shows an amazing willingness to go here But it shows a rebellious and proud disregard 
for his father's authority, for his father's home, for his father's estate. Not to mention a selfish and very immature attitude, just to put it in the terms I would use today. Now let's get a little backdrop for what he was dealing with. Pigs were unclean animals. They were unclean animals to the Jews. They weren't even not only not allowed to eat it, and I don't know how you went without eating bacon. I don't get that. (laughs) But he not only could not eat bacon, they couldn't even touch pigs. It was disgusting. It was a filthy thing. It was essentially an abomination to the Jews. They were not permitted to do such a thing. And here is this son taking a job in a faraway country from somebody else that obviously was okay with bacon. And here's this son. He's longing for the food that the pigs were eating. That's how desperate he was getting. Now you think about that and you put that in context. He represents a person really living in rebellion to God. That's what he represents here. He had fallen as low as he could possibly go. And you know, sometimes it is true, we have to hit rock bottom before we really realize the significance and the gravity of the sin issue that we're involved in, to recognize it. And so it was with him. When the money runs out, a severe famine hits the land, which, by the way, that's what would happen. Because when things are bad... (laughs) It's going to get worse. I mean, it just... Murphy was alive then too. And you young people, if you don't know who Murphy is, talk to your parents. But it just happens that way. I mean, it's just part of life. The money runs out, this severe famine hits the country, and the son finds himself doing well? No. He is in dire circumstances. He is desperate to the point that you've got to understand, he is now feeding pigs, he's touching pigs, he even wants to eat what they're eating. This isn't good. This is bad. He's only left with two choices. Completely give up on life. Or look back to his father. And that's his choices. Continuing our reading in Luke 15, beginning in verse 17... But but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise, and I'll go to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just treat me as one of your hired servants. He was in a spot, wasn't he? And that's a very humbling position to be in. It's not just that he thought that. He actually did it. The man came, comes to his senses here, and he remembers his father. In humility, he recognizes his foolishness. He's looking around. It doesn't take much to figure out. I've made some bad choices. And so he decides to return to his father and ask simply to be made like his, hired, like his father's hired servants. Now, 
I want to pause just a moment, and I want to talk about a few things. I want to talk to the young people. If you're under the roof of your parents, and really, if you're not, perhaps we could stretch that, but really, I want to talk to those who are under your parents' roof. First of all, your parents are not your enemies. <laughs> They're not. They're not your enemy. Treating them as such is rebellion which is blatantly forbidden by God. In fact, under the old law, it's punishment. You know what his punishment was? Your death. <laughs> under the old law. Now, we don't like to think about that because that seems really radically extreme, right? If I rebel against my parents, well, I will clarify a little bit of that for you. We're not talking about little kids here. We're talking about kids who are growing up and entering into adulthood. And they're forsaking everything their parents taught. They're bringing shame upon their parents. They're bringing shame upon the Jewish nation. And as a part of God's law, God set in place that that's not to be so. That's not what we're going to do. They are to be put to death, stoned to death. I know, that's harsh. It's hard to wrap my mind around it. Because we don't live in that culture. But it does at least give us an idea of how God felt about rebellion. At the very minimum. It helps us to understand God was serious about it. Rebellion is an important thing and it's an important thing for a young person to get hold of what God is teaching you. Like the father in this story, your parents have chosen for you a path. And I want you to give me ear. It may be hard if you're, I don't know your state, but if you're in that position, it may be hard to want to listen to this. But I'm begging of you, just listen. Just listen. I'm not slapping you around. I just want to give you some things to really seriously consider. The father in this story, just like him, your parents have chosen for you a path in the Lord that will only bring you joy in this life and it'll provide you everything that you need in this life if you'll listen to them. They truly do know what is best for you. Your friends don't know. Your friends' parents don't know. Your leaders in the church don't know your specific needs, but your parents do. They know what you really need. And that might or might not be pleasant, but they know. You know why they know? Because they care. <laughs> I'm just kind of a blunt sort of guy, so I just kind of say it like I see it. But they care. You might disagree with them, but they care. They love you. And just as this father did, and we'll come back to that in a moment. You know... God gave your parents specifically to you. Specifically to you and for you. And God gave you specifically to your parents for you. Really, for your benefit. Sadly, not all kids have this blessing. If you do, you should thank God that you have it, at least. You have parents. 
Now then, you may want to call them old-fashioned or some other characterization. I know my kids call me old-fashioned. I've got a lot of the gray up here now. But the fact is, they have been through nothing less than what you deal with, and it's their job to see you through it. It's just their job. They're doing what they're supposed to do. If you think that they're just, you know, pressing you too hard. God gave you, again, specifically to them for your benefit. Now then, obey your parents. <laughs> This is not just good advice. It's a command of the Lord. This is the Lord's command to you. John said in 1 John 5 and verse 3, 1 John 5 and verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. They're not burdensome. That means... His commandments are actually good for you. That really, in essence, is what that means. Now, for us to realize God's love for us is to put ourselves in obedience to Him. And once we do and we realize the benefits of that, we actually understand His love for us. That's an amazing scripture to me that I have just glossed over, <laughs> just read through. Oh, that's nice. I'm not even sure what that meant. But that's what that means. Place yourself in obedience to God. And you'll now understand the love that God has for you. Because it actually is to your benefit. It's for your good. It's so that you don't experience the bad things in life. One of the primary ways for your parents to help you is for you to open up and talk to them. Yeah, yeah, that's not happening, right? I'm just telling you. Your parents may miss a thing here or there and may not realize you're going through something. And if you just clam up and you walk away and you deal with it yourself and you don't get under their advice that God has designed for you, for your benefit, and you don't talk to them, it most likely will lead you to dealing with consequences that are not all that pleasant. Tell them what's on your mind, even if you know it'll make them uncomfortable. Or it'll make them mad, even. Talk to them. Talk, trust me. Talk to them. Tell them what you're struggling with. Unless you do this, they're going to have a difficult time trying to coach you through the difficulties you have. And I'm going to tell you, and I'm just going to put my personal guarantee on it, but like that means anything. But let me tell you, I'll guarantee you, your parents care more for you, exponentially more for you, than you even know. Again, you might not understand something, or you may disagree with something or whatever, but they do. I know in Christian households, that's a fact. The parents care for you. Take the risk. Talk to them. Ephesians 6, we're very common with, uh, aware of these verses. They're very familiar. And I'm sure many of the kids have memorized them. I'm pretty confident that some of these parents have probably had their kids memorize these verses. Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise 
that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. That's a beautiful passage in and of itself. But it is a passage specifically for you. Whether you're an adult or not, if you have a parent, you ought to be listening to this. Now look what he says. He refers back to an Old Testament passage. He refers back to the old law, which says, Honor thy father and mother, that it may be well with you, and you live long on the earth. That's what the passage said. But interesting, Paul brings it up again in the New Testament, and really brings out a point. He says, which is the first commandment with promise. This was the first commandment given by God that had a promise attached to it. And Paul's making a point of it, bringing it over here for the New Testament church to pay attention, that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. Now under the old law, it would be kind of easy to deduce that the reason you might live long by obeying your parents is you won't be stoned to death because that was the punishment, right? But let me tell you something. He's saying it carries on today. And the reason is, if you will listen to your parents, if you will honor them, if you will respect what it is that they're telling you, it will protect you in life. It's going to protect you from the wiles of Satan. It will protect you from the snares of Satan. And it's going to make for an easier life. What an important passage. Don't grieve your parents. Don't grieve them. I, I now am a parent, of course. I'm a parent of nine kids. So I get the kid thing. <laughs> and I've had a little grief myself as a parent. But I know I grieved my dad. And probably my mom, I'm sure. But for some reason it seemed to be my my dad, where our conflict was. And I caused him a lot of grief. Don't grieve your parents. I promise you'll live to have regrets. I regret some of that today. Even though I, I've, I'll tell you about it in a moment. I've cleared all that up. But I have lived to regret those decisions when I was young. Because I refused to honor them. The prodigal son here had to reach the depths of degradation and realize that he had no resources, nothing with which to reverse his ruin before he decided to throw himself on his father's mercy. Because that's essentially what he was doing. Interesting. I've noticed this about children. Again, I've had plenty to observe. And you've noticed it too. Everything rocks along fine for the little whippersnapper. <laughs> they rock along just fine in life until their parents give them an instruction. <laughs> until they're told, no, don't touch that hot stove. And how many times after the fact you see the child reaching for the very thing you told them not to do. That's what Paul told us in Romans. I'm not going to go read it and you can, you can pick it up and read Romans. Fabulous book. But that's exactly what Paul told us about what our nature is. The law comes in and our sin increases. What? Because it draws focus to it. And we have a propensity to want to do what, is, what we're not supposed to do. And Paul did that as well. And to not do the things we're supposed to do. And we struggle with this in our life. So do children. 
They do the same thing. From the youngest of ages, I've seen this principle in all of my kids. Parents, you do it too. You do it too. I bet if I asked a show of hands, a lot of the adults would be raising their hands. You go to a hospital and you're walking down a corridor and they're repainting the walls. And on the wall it says, wet paint, do not touch. What do you do? Oh, it's wet. Go figure. Oh, I so want to see how many have done it. But I've done it. Why? It, the sign said it's wet paint. <laughs> I mean, I could read. But we do that. That's our nature. You see, it brings temptation into focus. And if they violate the rules, they suffer the punishment. Continuing in our reading, Luke 15, beginning in verse 20. <clears throat> Speaking of the prodigal son. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned. I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to even be called your son. Did he know what he had done? Did he realize the significance of the choices he had made? Does that sound very repentant to you? Yeah, pretty much. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Never really thought about that. But he didn't have shoes. He didn't have sandals. He was destitute. And he's saying, put shoes on his feet. Kill the fatted... Well, let me read it. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. The father who had been watching and waiting... receives his son back with open arms of compassion. He is overjoyed by the return of his lost son. He's overjoyed, wouldn't you? <laughs> he was overjoyed. That's how much this had meant to him. He had missed his son, no doubt prayed for his son, was worried about his son, was looking down the road, already expecting... Surely my son is going to return. And then he sees him. Man, what could have been happening inside to those feelings of joy as he ran out on the road to meet him. He didn't wait for him. He didn't wait for him. He ran out to meet him. What a beautiful picture. Immediately the father turns to his servants. He asks them to prepare an enormous feast and in celebration of his son's return. Now I want to talk about the father real quick here. I said a few moments ago that there's no, at least I determined, there's no such thing as a perfect parent on this earth. There's not. 
And kids, you need to understand that. I mean, parents make mistakes too. And they do. As well-intended as it may be, they make mistakes. I certainly have. <laughs> but have you thought about this? Did you know that God, this is a story, that, and this particular father represents our Father in heaven. And I don't think it's unfair to look at this and take some things from this to learn of our Father in heaven. Did you know that God's a perfect parent? <laughs> he is a perfect parent. Yet he's had difficulties with some of his own children. Not all of them are faithful. Some of them break his heart. Where did he go wrong? Didn't he train his son in this story? Didn't he train his son in the way he should go so that he won't depart from it? That's the passage we go to so oftentimes. Proverbs 22, 16. How does God view it? He's the perfect parent. And it happened to him. It happens to him. Are you a child of his? I am. And I still fail him. And I'm afraid probably many of his children fail him far too often. We don't always do what he tells us to do, do we? A rebellious child's defiance, it hurts. It hurts. And if you've experienced any of this ever as a parent, you know what I'm talking about. It causes you to question your effectiveness as a loving, godly parent. I mean, it just does. It has me. Of course, we're not God, but He's still our role model. We can still learn from Him. And in this story, there is some lessons for us. You know, all of us stumble on our journey to adulthood. We stumble in this journey of life. No one's perfect. Again, there I said it again. Don't confuse that as an excuse. It's not an excuse. We don't need to make the excuse, well, I'm only human, and use it as an excuse. But it is a fact. I mean, we are human, and we do make mistakes. We do sin. And listen, what do you expect? What do you do? Let me ask it that way. What do you do when it's not just a slip? or a slight detour that your child has made, but your child has gone completely off the rails. What do you do? How do you handle that? There's probably no greater heartache for a parent than when their dream for their child dies, when someone they poured their life into and love into for so many years seem to reject everything that the parent has ever wanted for or taught their child. And they just walk away. Listen, if you're facing that kind of situation, take heart. Take heart. Now I want you to consider some of the lessons here in this story. I, I think there are many other stories, but I want to point out, or uh, lessons, but I want to point out a few. How did the father, the perfect father handle the rebellious son, the one that just went off the rails. How did he handle him? 
This is tough. And it's tough to hear and it's especially tough to do. But he let him go. He let him go. After he had taught, provided for, and loved in all the perfect ways, this son rebelled. Don't think he, the dad, don't think he was caught unaware or by surprise. He knew the heart of his son. He knew it better than we probably do a lot of times. Yet he still allowed him to go. Now obviously, you may need to step in if they're younger or they're seriously endangering themselves or others. There's, there's other factors involved. This isn't just a blanket for anything and everything. But don't be too quick. Don't be too quick to protect them from all that may follow. Is You could just prolong their waywardness. Let them go. You have given them and provided for them all that they need. They know it. They understand it. Let him go. Number two, let him fail. He let him fail. Don't rescue them too soon. You see, there's a difference between remorse or just feeling sad at the moment and repentance. It's one thing to feel sad. It's one thing to feel bad about something in the moment, but it's a completely another thing to demonstrate a serious desire to change over time. I had to do it. Many others have had to do it. And it's not all bad for us. Because we need to come to a full realization of the extent of where we are and, and what we've done, not just our parents, but really our spiritual rebellion. Much more important. It's all tied together, I suppose. But let us experience it. Because I can tell you firsthand, that's what needed to happen with me. For me to come to my senses. I'll tell you more in a moment. You see, this son, he did that by walking all the way home from that far place he had gone to, apparently barefooted. I don't know. I mean, but it just kind of implies that. He didn't just say he was sorry and have his dad purchase him an airline ticket, right? I know planes weren't around then, but you get the point. It's important to know that your child really wants to change. It was important for my dad to know that about me. And the time came when he, when he knew and he realized it. This son also showed his repentance by asking his dad to just make me as one of your hired servants. I'm not even worthy to be your son. That was repentance. He had come to his senses. And he realized the position he had gotten himself in. And there was an option. There was a good option. There was an answer. Number four, remind the other kids they are loved. <laughs> that are at home. And they, that, that, tell them, remind them they have a home. Reassure your other children as this father did. That they know they are loved and they're accepted and they have all they need. All that is mine is yours. And then number five, as a parent, 
Offer grace. Offer grace. That's what our Father has done for us. Offer them grace. They don't need a lecture. They don't need all of that. They know. If they're repentant, they know. Offer them grace. Allow restoration to happen. Let's continue reading verse 25. In the same passage, Luke 15. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music? Dancing? What in the world? And so he says, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. He was angry. And he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He's lost and is found. Meanwhile, the older son here that we've been reading about is furious. He is livid. <laughs> I love how the wording is here that from the son says, your son did all of this. And then the father turns back to him and says, your brother has come back and he's found and he's safe. Those pronouns just, just kill me in this passage. Because it is your brother. You ought to be caring about this too. And we're brothers, we're sisters in the family of God. And we ought to truly care for each other, okay? The father here tries to dissuade the older brother from his jealous rage. And he's explaining, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. Do you see the Pharisee in it? <laughs> to me, that's the bigger picture. But I'm going to keep it to focus on what we're talking about here. Let's talk about this good son, sometimes referred to as the good son. He's the older son. He's the one who always did what his dad wanted done. He's feeding the pigs. He's out in the fields working the crops. He's doing whatever it is that he had to do. He's checking off the list, right? He's got it all down. He's being obedient. He never got a party. What in the world? Well, he's home, <laughs> and he has access to everything. He ought to be rejoicing that his brother has come back. You know, in my case, I don't know how many of you have met my brother Ty. 
If you have, you'll know maybe what I'm talking about. But in my case, my brother Ty was the good son. He was the third born of four boys. Poor mom. Some of you may know that. Four boys. I was the oldest. And Ty puts it like this. This is how he makes his observation on our growing up. I watched Leland rebel against dad and witness those consequences. And then I watched Bruce disobey dad, get in trouble, and watch those consequences as well. He's third born. He's watching his older brothers. And he said, I just figured it like this. If I just do what dad said, it'll be all right. And it was. He needed more spankings. Dad didn't know. Because I watched him. He needed a few more. But he was the good son. And he was. He was truly a good guy. But the older son here, wasn't he? He was doing everything he was supposed to be doing, right? Was he? Not exactly. I mean, technically, maybe. But he didn't have the right heart, did he? He wasn't pleasing to his father either, quite frankly. I heard things from my older kids many times. Keep in mind, there is 27 years between my oldest and the youngest. Okay? So my oldest now is 38. Janessa is almost 12, I guess. She's 11 now, almost 12. But there's a big spread. So I had a lot of older kids look at how I was raising my younger kids. And they would tell me sometimes, they'd tell the other kids, what do you think they'd say? We weren't allowed to do that when we were your age. And boy, they just really wanted to rub it in, right? Sometimes jokingly, sometimes maybe with a little bit of disappointment in there. They weren't allowed to do things that I now allow. I just tell them they were the guinea pigs. I now have perfected my parenthood. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Still struggle. I mean, if you had Amanda, you'd, you'd know what I mean. But Just kidding, Amanda. <laughs> now look, what happens when you are not comfortable with allowing your kids to do something, but their siblings either are or had been allowed, or their friends or somebody else they know are allowed to do it, even in the church, <laughs> but so-and-so can do it, they're allowed to do it. Why am I not allowed to do it? And you have a tough call to make because you really don't want to allow it. Have you ever been in that position? I have. Uh, many a time. And it's an awkward position. It's an awkward position, not just for your kids, but for your relationships with other people and other families and things like that. What do you do then? Romans 14 and 4 Paul, he's speaking of a different topic, but there, I believe the application is fair. He says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. 
Now, what Paul was dealing with with the Romans here is they were arguing and bickering. They were having pretty bitter conversations and and problems within their congregation even. Because some thought, not only this, there's some other things involved here too, but particularly some said, it's okay to eat meats offered to idols. And somebody else says, I can't even eat meats. I'm I'm a vegetarian, right? And we may have that today. You have two parties serving God with a different viewpoint here within the assembly or within the group of Christians. And Paul said, who are you to judge someone else's servant? What does that mean? Because if I'm over here and I'm looking at you and I think you're wrong for doing that, I'm judging you. It's just pretty simple. That really is just what what that means. But the problem is, we both are serving the same God. We are servants of this God, of our God. Okay? Both are. And he says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? Don't judge someone else's servant. And he can't serve, he he does not need to judge the same master, his servant. We don't judge each other in that. The same applies in our households a lot of times. We need to let that be. Let me tell you, we understand what this means. If someone were to come into your home and start spouting off what you're doing wrong regarding the raising of your children, I dare say you wouldn't take that very well. I wouldn't. If I'm doing what I'm doing in service to my God, and somebody comes to me and says, you're doing wrong. I'm not saying I wouldn't give an ear, but their approach may matter, right? (laughs) How they do it may matter. But you're not going to come in and tell me where I'm going wrong. This is my house. I have authority in my house. And you have authority in your house. And it's not my business to tell you how to do all these little things. You need to raise your kids after after the Lord and in the Lord as I do the same thing. And we need to respect each other on that, first of all. My children belong to me. Other people's children belong to them. And God has placed my children under my authority to raise, not yours. And He's placed yours under your authority and not mine. So raise them. (laughs) Raise them to follow the Lord. That's your business. Whether you agree with my decision, I may choose to do something differently in that. And whether you agree with that or not, it's just simply not your choice to make. It's mine. And it's not just my choice, it's my responsibility. You see, we would have utter chaos in families in the local church if, that, if we treated one another like that in regards to that. Kids, listen here. Don't look to others who look as though they have more freedom, they have more rights, they have more privileges. Listen, I'm going to tell you how it is. All things are not always as they seem. They're not. They rarely are. There are areas where other parents are going to allow things your parents may choose not to. Trust me, they have their reasons. And you need to discuss that with them perhaps. But you need to trust them. Your parents love you. They're not out to destroy you. They're not out to ruin your life. They're out to guide you 
And that, that's the focus. It's not the older sibling's responsibility. There are areas where I may allow one child to participate in or do something that I might not allow another one to do. Do you know why? It's at least one of two reasons. Number one, I may have tried something with the older and subsequently decided not to ever do that again. Because <laughs> I've done that too. Number two, I know what's best for each one of my kids, or I should. I should have a good handle on this. I'm not saying I always have, but I should. Some things may adversely affect one child while another may be strong enough to handle it. You ever thought of that? Even in the same house. You know, you have multiple kids. They're all different. They're not identical. You're not making clones here. <laughs> they each have their own personalities and abilities and talents and things of that nature. Let me ask you, young people again, what if your parents are wrong? What if they're making a decision you disagree with? These are hard questions, but I think they need to be asked. You disagree with a decision. What if? Well, let me ask you, do they have that right? <laughs> of course they do. But what difference does it make? What difference does it make? No matter what they or anybody else lays out for you, you still have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to rise above it, to show honor and respect to them, because that's what the Scriptures teach you to do. These Scriptures are to you too. <laughs> they are. Parents, you, we need to take that responsibility serious, obviously. But children, you need to take your role responsibly also. Here's what I mean by that. Listen. You still carry a responsibility to respect them. Forgive them even, if appropriate. Again, parents aren't perfect. They're not. They're not. They're going to make mistakes. And I can tell you, I'm confident. I could ask any one of these parents here, have you ever made a mistake in your parenthood? I, I can't even imagine them saying, no, never made a mistake. Because they may have other issues to work on if they say that. I don't know. There may be some other, they may shift the discussion a little. We make mistakes. We just do. Again, parents aren't perfect, but they certainly love you. Paul reminded Timothy in his youth. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12, Let no man despise thy youth. But be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, or our manner of life, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. That's a passage for you, <laughs> young people. That's a passage for you. It's a directive specifically to young Timothy, but to young people. Listen to it. Live in such a way that no one can think little of you. You see that word despise, I used to think... Nobody can despise me. I have the right. Just because I'm young, they can't hold me back. 
That's not what that passage means. That's not what it means. Listen to what it means. It means, let no man despise thy youth. In other words, don't give them a reason to despise you because you're young. Don't give them a reason. In fact, do these things. Be an example to believers in word, in your manner of living, in your love or charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity, in all these ways. Don't give anyone a reason to think evil of you, whether you're young or not. Just don't. Now, at the risk of sounding arrogant, <laughs> and that is not at all my heart. It's just not. And I hope you know that. But I look around and I see so many, many children leave the faith. And they go their own way. Even to the extent of losing faith in God altogether. And they just throw it away. And I've seen that so many times. And I'm going to tell you, it's just heartbreaking. It breaks my heart. As I'm sure it does yours and... Especially, I know it does their parents. And we're, we're putting this in context of Christian homes, of course. Let me tell you something. I broke my dad's heart during those years. I wouldn't hardly speak to him. We didn't even hardly speak for about five, six, probably about six years, almost seven. I was 27, 28 years old before I finally got it together enough to realize I have to be free from this guilt that I feel. And I went back home. I went back home with tears in my eyes as it had fully convicted me. It had. I know I hadn't treated him right. He had issues too, but that, it doesn't really matter. I had issues and I had to deal with mine. I asked forgiveness for all the grief and heartache I had caused him, both my mom and dad. And that's what my dad ultimately did. He forgave me. And I'm so grateful for that moment and that time that I was able to build a relationship with my father that I, had, I was willing to just throw away. Because I'm my own man, right? Nobody's their own man. <laughs> That's a lie of Satan. We belong to God. We belong to Christ. And I had a responsibility to, to visit with my parents about that. In the end, my dad became my best friend. He was my greatest cheerleader, and he would hate that I called him a cheerleader. <laughs> But he was my greatest cheerleader in life, as especially to the things that were really important to me, such as my family and my church work and things of that nature. And that was my dad, and I miss him today. He's been gone three years. And I don't have the opportunity to talk to him again today. But I had a lot up to that point. And we had rebuilt a friendship. He was my closest friend. And I miss that. As a parent, I want to encourage you, don't lose perspective. As you continue to love, as you continue to pray for your children, have faith that your child is God's work. 
And it's God's work in progress. And part of that is up to us in how we respond to that and allow God to work on them. We want to try too hard sometimes ourselves and, and fix it, and sometimes we just need to let God take care of it. I believe that. As we close, I know I've gone long, and my apologies, but I want to speak to parents. I want to speak particularly maybe to young parents. What I'm about to say, listen, it's not aimed toward any specific individuals, of course, families otherwise intended to offend. It's probably good that I can speak on this because I don't meet here all the time. So I don't know your intimate workings and what's going on in your house. So I'm just going to say it, okay? I suppose if you've been through this as a parent, what we've been talking about here this morning, you ought to be the loudest to scream this to young parents who struggle doing the things that they should do for their children to preserve their faith in an ever-growing faithless society. Because that's what we have. And it's not getting better. I mean, it's better in the Lord. (laughs) But our world is just falling apart here, isn't it? In America. Is it as bad as it's ever been in the world? Well, maybe not. Doesn't matter. It affects us and our values here in what we have deemed, at least in the past, in a Christian, Judeo-Christian influenced country and governance. Let me tell you something. Again, my heart aches at the thought of children walking away from God and from the teachings of the Bible. It just does. And so I want to inject some things. It may be hard to hear, but I want you to bear with me just for a couple of more minutes. Personally, if I don't wake up and take this job of parenting seriously, I'll lose my children also. I cannot aimlessly walk through life as if it's just what everybody does, like a herd of sheep. We wake up in the morning and we go to work. We come home, we watch TV, we go to bed, we wake up in the morning, we go back to work, we come home, and we just complete this cycle that just is the same thing over and over and over again, like a machine. Like there's no passion or emotion or whatever involved in it. Is that all life is about? Isn't there more to life than this? Yes, a resounding yes. There's more to life than this. If I don't bring my focus and priorities into check, let me tell you something. It may be like so many friends that I have. We may be spending the rest of our lives trying to help our kids stay off of drugs or not be strung out on drugs. It may be that we're paying attorney's fees and and fines and everything and trying to keep our kids out of jail because they just off and doing their own thing. And even worse than that, we may be up many a night the rest of our lives worrying about our kids because of the choices they're making. And that's going to be hard to deal with in life, I think. Why? Because I did almost nothing to help them with what really mattered in life. Things like responsibility, spiritual growth and maturity, ethics, morals, values, respect for authority, respect for God, uh, uh, to, to revere God, 
A respect for the Bible and His Word. Heard it many a times. We may be guilty of it ourselves. We say things like, but he sure is good at basketball. Boy, he's a great running back. He was an all-star. She sure did sing good in the choir. She won all those competitions. Got the scholarship to pay for college. I'm not against those things in and of themselves. I'm, I'm not. But when our focus is drawn away and that's what our conversation's about, we may have already lost the battle. What have I gained? What have I gained? More importantly, what have they gained? A scholarship to college. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? It's not that you can't be engaged in those things. It's, a, it's about focus. Life balance and focus on what's really important for our kids. Critically important. And this is to me as much as it is anybody. I have to be reminded of this to stay focused on it. My job's not done yet. I thought it was last year. It's not done. And we're still going to focus. Ephesians 6 and 4, the verse that follows, the children obey your parents part that we read earlier. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, parents, but particularly, he's speaking to fathers here, Bring them up in the nurture and admonition or instruction of the Lord. More than just Bible study. They need to witness how I speak to my neighbors. They need to see how I react when somebody wrongs me. They need to see how I revere the Lord in my life. In, perhaps even in my reading or, or Bible study time or prayer life. They need to witness a daily Conviction. There are a lot of things calling out to our children today. All manner of lures that can draw them away from God. We have got to make sure that the Word of God is calling them. And we at least are offering it to them, right? I've got to be diligent in this effort. I must remember to never give up. I've got one chance at this. I don't get a second chance with my kids. They're not going to come back home and have the same relationship that they did when they were young and allow me to influence them. We're not talking about manipulating kids. We're talking about teaching them the fundamentals of what they really need for life. With the grace of God that's provided to us, we'll be able to accomplish what He has called us to do as a parent. And I pray that God will be honored as they, our children, Seek Him as the Lord of their lives. May we be very careful in our speech to them. As I close, I'm going to close now. <laughs> our words. Be careful to never speak words that denigrate and demean, that ridicule and mock. May our words be those that instruct, that gently correct, and positively encourage 
them to aspire to higher, if you will, values and morals. May we never discourage them from being everything God wants for them. They are on borrowed time with us. And we are only there to help point them back to God. I hope that you benefited through some of the things that we've discussed. Again, there's so many more things that we could talk about in this. It's gone way long enough, I know. But I appreciate your kind attention and I hope and pray that in our families that we put this kind of focus into them that we help ensure that they know the way home. At the very minimum, they know how to get home because they know what home holds for them. In our home and in God's home. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.